Well, good morning, everyone. It's Sunday morning. It's the Lord's Day, and uh, it's our practice through the centuries for believers everywhere to gather on the Lord's Day, and we find ourselves in these uh, strange situations and this circumstance of a plague right now, and so we are the church in isolation, but good morning, and I welcome you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and so we gather a church scattered and yet together through uh, technology and the internet, and I trust that uh, you'll be encouraged today. It's my joy to be here today. I've been praying all week long for God to use this time in the families and in the individuals of our church. Let me begin with a scripture today. I don't know um, how you are today. I don't know if you slept well last night. I don't know if anxiety has been uh, creeping in upon you as this uh, situation just seems to go on and on, and, and it appears that for a number of more weeks, uh, we will need to continue to practice this social distancing. But God is greater than all of this, and I had Psalm 91 on my mind this morning. Let me share it with you as we begin our service this morning. Psalm 91, the psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you. Listen, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Listen to this. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a wonderful, wonderful psalm for us to remind ourselves of this morning. Well, I picture you gathered in your homes. Uh, some of you may be sitting at a kitchen island with a cup of coffee, watching your phone. Others of you have gathered your families in your living rooms, your family rooms. And uh, I just trust that you have your Bibles nearby. Once again this week, we have selected both hymns to encourage and to remind us of our great God, but also hymns that I trust you'll be able to really easily hum or sing along with. Um, the church is unique, isn't it, that we love to sing together and we encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we want to begin our service today uh, with that wonderful great hymn reminding us what a great God we have, holy, holy, holy. I've invited children's director Tim Laymaster to join me and we're going to be tag teaming and, and singing back and forth. Tim O'Hawk, our intern, will come up and sing parts on a hymn and we're just going to uh, kind of have a little sing-along here. We know that uh, it is what it is, but we trust that you will be lifted up as we join our voices in song together.
casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which word and art and evermore shall be. us of our great God. And we want to sing another hymn before we move on. Uh, Tim O'Hawk, our um, pastoral intern, is going to join us. I'm pulling my phone out of my pocket because I received a text uh, this morning right before it was time for the service to start, and I wanted to share this with you. We're going to sing next that hymn, 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. It begins with the lines, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and it's time to sing your song again. And so I'm thinking about what it was like in our community this morning, even though it's an overcast day when the sun came up. Uh, my dear brother, a pastor friend in Tennessee, down in the rural uh, part of central Tennessee, uh, ministers at a camp there called Sedine Bible Camp. Uh, I looked down at my phone. It was actually um, a little over a half hour ago, 8.48 this morning, and I looked down at my phone, and uh, Steve texted me, and he said, good morning, brother. This is Steve Zimmerman. At 5 this morning, a tornado touched down at Sedine Bible Camp. All I can tell you at this point is that there is significant damage. His wife, Joan, and I are fine, and we are safe. Debbie and Kenny Orr, who live above us, as far as I know, are safe. We wanted you to know, thank you for praying and encouraging God's people to pray. Be encouraged, please, with God's word at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. May he alone, Steve says, be praised. So our dear brother, these are humble servants of the Lord who have served faithfully down in the rural part of Tennessee. A lot of inner city children come to their camp every summer. We can praise the Lord that uh, there were no children at camp. But I was just thinking how blessed we are in our community. No tornadoes last night, um, but 
God's people everywhere are experiencing different things. And so I wanted to just share that with you. And we'll pray in just a minute. Uh, Tim Laymaster, our children's director, will lead us in prayer. Before that, Tim O'Hawk, our pastoral intern, joins me. Let's join our voices together. This is a favorite hymn for our church to sing. 10,000 reasons bless the Lord, and it'll break into the doxology during the hymn as well. Time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the Oh, my soul. 
at this time in our service and uh, let's just bow our heads wherever we are and we're going to be led into the throne room of God's grace by Tim Laymaster, our director of children's ministries. Before Tim comes to the pulpit though to lead us, uh, let's just listen closely and let me remind you of, of some of the prayer requests of this week. It's often my practice to remind you of people and their names and even though our church is is spread far and wide, and many of you cannot picture a face with a name. This is your church family, and you are committed to bear their burdens and, and to pray for them and to help hold them up. Uh, first of all, I wanted to acknowledge that our dear sister Pearl Cavender is with the Lord this week. Uh, she had a fall, uh, gashed her head uh, severely, fractured bones in her neck, and about 24 hours later, uh, the Lord saw fit to just welcome her into his presence. And that was an answer to prayer. Pearl was about 97 years old, getting ready to turn 98, I believe. She is, I think, the oldest member of our church. And she has now matriculated onto heaven. And we praise God for that. And we remind ourselves that that was a precious moment in God's eyes. We remind ourselves that she is indeed better off by far now. We want to remember Clint Cavender. He's on our full-time custodial staff here. That's his mother. We want to remember Sheila Runyon and her husband, Rob. Sheila is Pearl's daughter, faithful members here at Fellowship Bible Church. Our hearts go out to them. Uh, Tuesday morning, there will be a brief graveside service over in Rockville where Pearl will be laid, her body will be laid to rest next to her husband, Paul. They served the Lord together for many, many years, and we thank God for them. We also uh, remind ourselves, though, that God has been good this week to add to our numbers. He's taken away, but he's given, and uh, we remind ourselves that God is good all the time. If Pastor Everett were here, he would remind us of that. He's going to be seen in just a few moments in, a, in an interview with the Jesserins, our missionaries. Um, he's a grandpa again. He and Anne, our grandpa and grandma, Tom and Peggy Sandresky, who are faithful members here as well, our grandpa and grandma, as their children, Evan and Laura, uh, welcome into their lives Tucker Andrew, a strapping young boy, and we're so thankful for that. I mentioned also in my words of encouragement somewhere along the week here, I mentioned about uh, one of our IFCA Bible Church pastors, his name is Bob Sheridan. Uh, he is a faithful servant of the Lord. He has pastored the Palos Bible Church in the suburbs of South Chicago for many years. And uh, he and his wife, Adrian, whom I grew up with and my older sister is best friends with, um, they have had a, a brutal week. And Bob, though, was uh, diagnosed with the virus. It looked like he was improving, but then he plummeted. And uh, he is seriously sick and, in fact, uh, his breathing got to the point where he was intubated yesterday morning. And that's the last I've heard. As far as I know, he's still there in the critical care unit in Chicago, intubated. His wife at this time is in, in isolation and uh, quarantine. And so this is just the most difficult time for them. Uh, he had texted his wife right before they intubated him. And he said to her, I'll see you on the other side. 
Um, that could be the other side of the innovation, or it could be uh, in glory. And uh, we'll just trust the Lord with his days. Bob is 68 years old. So that's one of our IFCA Bible churches in Illinois. And we want to remember to pray for them. And then, Tim, please come. And let's remember to pray for Steve Zimmerman, my pastor friend who's involved at Sedine Bible Camp, where they have had devastation last night. It's a poor, humble organization that has served the Lord there. Let's pray for these dear ones. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the health of our church and our community. And let's pray for God to speak to us through his word today. Tim, thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for uh, Benny the Bible Bear. That's been wonderful. I've enjoyed it. I know our children have enjoyed it. Let's all bow our heads now. And in Jesus' name, let's boldly enter the throne room of grace. Father, this is a day that you have created. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Lord, at this time, as we come to you, we seek you to be with us and that we can worship you and give your name praise and sing songs and, and just give you glory. Lord, will you just speak through Pastor Van and through the words that he's going to bring today in the message? And I pray that as it goes across the airwaves, that many would hear it, that many would respond, and many would be drawn to action, uh, just even it, within their own hearts and in their own minds, of an understanding of you and who you are and of your name. Lord, we pray for our church families. I specifically want to pray for Clint Cavender, for Sheila Runyon, Rob Runyon, and just the loss of Pearl Cavender, uh, just a dear saint, one who has been faithful to you through many years, and used sought to draw her to you now. Lord, I pray for calmness within Clint and Sheila and just wisdom and all the decisions that need to be made and the actions need to be taken care of. Will you just give them a peace in their hearts of knowing that she is with you in glory and just able to rejoice with you in heaven. Father, thank you for the life that has been given this week for Tucker Andrew Vokacher. And for Evan and Laura, I pray that you would help them as parents continue to allow them to raise these children up, Harper, Jackson, their other two as well, and, and now Tucker, and just to have these children to grow in a knowledge of you. I pray that they would be encouraged, that their family unit would strengthen and grow. Thank you for the blessings of this. And we do pray for all the other pregnant mothers in our congregation, that you would continue to allow them to nurture their children within them, and then for the families to be strengthened as they are born as well. Father, I uh, want to pray for Bob Sheridan also. Uh, struggling, obviously affected severely by a disease. And Lord, we do pray that whatever your decision is, that we would see the glory of it, that families would be drawn closer to you, that hearts and lives would be changed. And uh, if you decide to pull him through, that he would just have many more years of a testimony for you here on earth. But if you draw him unto you, Lord, I pray that... Um, even through his life, that many will still be drawn unto you. Father, for Steve Zimmerman, even in Tennessee, in this little Bible camp that's been impacted by a tornado, Lord, it's going to take time. It'll take um, rebuilding phase, but I pray that you ha we know you have a plan and a purpose for it all. So will you see fit to, to use it according to your glory? But I pray that they would still be able to open up for summertime, for boys and girls to come to hear your word, to accept you as their savior, to hear the gospel, to be discipled, others who are saved, but that they would be spurred on to greater works for you. 
Lord, will you just use Steve, his wife, and this Bible camp in a rebuilding phase and that it could be a time to give you glory and that looking back, even years from now, that they would see your mighty hand. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for our ministry here. I do love you and know that our church loves you. And I ask that we would just continue to stay in tune and just be worshiping you with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Um, I'm going to invite Children's Director Tim to stay with me here to help me sing a hymn. Uh, We've added a couple more hymns than we did last week. And um, I've had a lot of songs going through my mind this week as I walk, as I pray, as we uh, reach out to people. And there's a hymn that we've sung here many times, but we haven't done it lately that's been going through my mind all week, and I wanted us to sing it as a congregation. It's, uh, it's a Keith Getty hymn, and it's entitled, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. I hope that's your testimony in the middle of this plague. Causes fear to fly. 
going to sing one more hymn before we open God's Word. Uh, Tim Laymaster is going to sing that one by himself along with you. It's In Christ Alone, and I know that's a singable hymn for you. I just wanted to pause for just a minute, and uh, in a moment we're going to open God's Word, so get your Bibles ready. Um, but I wanted to let you know that there's just a couple of things that you can look forward to during the week. One thing is that um, we joined together this past Wednesday for a statewide prayer time And we were grateful for our governor praying and leading the state in prayer along with Dr. Anderson from Appalachian Bible College. It was very encouraging. And uh, we then gathered at 6.30 here in the auditorium and a number of our men just prayed one after the other. And uh, following that, I just had a sense that as long as this quarantine is on and we're practicing this social distancing, we will make it our practice that every Wednesday evening but at 7, from 7 to 8 p.m., I'm going to share just a brief opening Bible study, just a few remarks with our Bibles open, and then we will have a few others here to help lead us in prayer. And we will have a one-hour brief Bible study and mostly just a prayer time. I fully recognize that you can click on, click off. These things are posted later, so uh, it might be helpful to you to click onto YouTube or the website later on when you have downtime. If you can't make 7 to 8 p.m. on Wednesday evenings a quiet time, uh, maybe later in the evening, click on and be reminded of God's goodness to us as a congregation. We'll encourage you with a few simple truths, uh, but profound truths from God's Word, and then we will just pray, and we will just continue to pray. I have sensed throughout this whole thing. Uh, it's just been the strangest thing, hasn't it? I I've, I've have sensed uh, a great deal of a spiritual reality to it. There is more going on here than just the kings of the earth making decisions to fight a virus. And God is at work in his overriding sovereign plan of the ages. And, and we'll have time to sort some of that out and, and to gain perspective on it. But uh, this is a time for us to put on the full armor of God and for us to be praying together as a congregation and as families and as individuals. So I just wanted to emphasize that, that we'll look forward then, right here from the pulpit, uh, this familiar place where God uses his word to encourage us. We will pray together Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Well, we're going to take another name of God and be encouraged today. Um, Today, a very familiar passage, Psalm 23, and I trust that you'll be just so encouraged by our time together. Uh, We've purposely taken a little bit longer with our music and our comments today. Uh, We know that you don't have too many places to go, and so we trust that it'll be an encouragement and a blessing to you to have this time together. I like it uh, that this is real time, at least right now at about five minutes of 10. uh, Some of you will be watching this later uh, by delay, but uh, our church, many in our church and, and people in other states even, are clicking on, and I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for the many encouraging notes and the prayers that have gone out too, that God will hold our church closely in his hand. And let's remember that the, the great shepherd of our church, and the, uh, the New Testament calls him our great shepherd, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a wonderful hymn that was given to us by Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend. It's In Christ Alone. And I've asked Children's Director Tim to come and sing this hymn at this time. And I'm going to sit down for just a minute and gather my thoughts. And then we'll be opening up God's Word together. Tim, thanks for your help with the music today.
rest alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all, here in the power of Christ I stand. Tim so much. Let's pray together, shall we, before we open God's Word. Father, what a joy is ours in these days of instability and question and even fear and anxiety to be able to reach for our Bibles and across our community, uh, gathered in our living rooms and family rooms and kitchens, and back patios. Uh, we reach for our Bibles, and what a 
What a great feeling that is. And as we open, our, open your word today, Father, will you do yet again what you do so often? You take your word and you, you, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you encourage your people. And we need encourage today, Lord. We need stability. We need clarity of mind and calmness of heart. And uh, that will only come from you, our loving Heavenly Father and our Good Shepherd. Uh, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture where we encounter now again one of the wonderful names uh, of our God. You are God. Minister to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was a stunning scene of devastation. It's burned in my brain. I was probably 15 or 16 years old. My father had received a call from a man in our church my father pastored a small Bible church in rural southern Michigan, and we had received a, a phone call from an ancient old man who was a farmer in our church. His name was uh, Laverne Harmon, and I'll never forget as we drove down his lane and we could see uh, why he had called so frantically for help. It was a scene of, of devastation and death. You see, he was a shepherd. He was a, a farmer who had sheep, and um, uh, Early in the morning before daylight of that morning, the neighbor's big German shepherd dogs had gotten loose, and they had chased his sheep, and they had killed about a dozen or 15 of them, and they were scattered throughout the barnyard and around the sheds, lying uh, in their death rows, uh, frozen in place. We walked around with Mr. Harmon, and he was so concerned and devastated for his sheep and the loss at hand. And... It was really evident that it had been a destructive scene. We helped him gather them with the tractor bucket. I learned a lesson that day. I'll never forget. And it is that sheep need a shepherd. Sheep are easily disturbed. Sheep are, are easily, uh, easily become the prey of the enemy. And this morning, we're going to talk about our good shepherd I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. I know that many of you know it and that it is so familiar to you. Uh, let me remind you of what we're doing in this sermon series during the plague. Uh, as we are a church scattered and we're not able to gather together, we are encouraging ourselves uh, by doing a study from God's Word on the names of God. We just started this last week, and you remember we were in Genesis chapter 16, and that Egyptian servant girl who was so devastated by her circumstances of life and just overnight she lost everything she had, everything normal in her life was gone and she found herself in the wilderness and there God spoke to her and one of the things he reminded her of was that he is the God who sees and she called him there El Roy, the God who sees. You recall that in our Bibles, there are many names for God. These spring from his character, and they help us understand who he is and, and what he's like. Uh, the most familiar of these names, you remember, is Elohim. Uh, Elohim, and there we get that prefix on these other names, El, like El Roy, the God who sees. Uh, Elohim, uh, that that name, uh, Elohim, uh, is, it means that he is a strong and mighty God, the creator of the universe. And then you recall that often used in our Bible is another name for God that 
uh, was the most sacred and the most holy name of God. Uh, we learn from the holiness of this name uh, that he hates sin, uh, he expects holiness, but we also recognize that he is a loving Heavenly Father through this name, and it is, it is Yahweh. And remember, this name was so sacred in ancient Israel that they wouldn't even say it out loud. He is such a holy God that they wouldn't say Yahweh. And so they, they came up with another name that they would say out loud, and it was Adonai. Adonai, Lord and Master. Later, uh, later in the history of Israel, they took the consonants from the, word, from the word or name Yahweh, and they took the vowel sounds from Adonai, and they put them together, and they created a new word, a new name for God, and it is Jehovah. And that's a name that we're quite familiar with. And so those names are used many, many times in the Bible, and they will often be uh, attached to another descriptive term describing the character of our God through his name. And uh, the, the, so the idea is that when we honor the name of the Lord, when we consider his name sacred, we do not use his name in vain. It is because we are speaking of the very character, the very essence of the substance of our God. This is who he is, and it's all represented in his name. So, so far, El Roy, the God who sees. Uh, let's just remind ourselves from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Uh, this was the springboard passage. It might be coming up on your screen right now. And uh, if you're there in your living room, let's say it together. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe, Proverbs 18, 10. And so we have the vision of this high castle, high on the rocks with a high turret, and that's a strong tower, and it's a place of security. And so we are finding in a day of, of insecurity and a day of fear that our, the name of our God is a strong tower. And the righteous ones run to it and are safe. His name is El Roy. He sees, and he is Elohim, and he has the power to, to do what he wants through the circumstances, and he will watch over his children. Uh, today, we take that name Jehovah, Yahweh, and we attach it to that same name, Roy, the idea of seeing or overseeing, or like a shepherd of his sheep is watching his sheep, but by putting the name Yahweh, Jehovah, in front of Roy, Jehovah Roy, the Lord who sees is my shepherd, the idea of this Yahweh, this sacred and precious covenantal name of God with his people, it's based on relationship. And that relationship is one of care and shepherding and overseeing. And so we're in Psalm 23, and we have this precious and beautiful psalm. It, it has to be, uh, if not the most familiar passage of Scripture, it has to be right up there with what is most well-known, even by people who don't know their Bibles or who've never been to Sunday school or church. We often use it at, at funerals. Uh, we'll use it in a variety of settings. Today, we use it uh, to build our confidence with a reminder that we are not a sheep scattered. We are not a sheep vulnerable to the neighbor's dogs, but we are sheep who have a shepherd, and he's no ordinary shepherd. He is, he is Jehovah Roy. He is our good shepherd. 
Uh, we're not going to build on this too much, but a good study for later in the week on your own. If you have some extra time, some of you are working from home and you can't fill all your time. Uh, if you have time to open your Bible or look on your uh, Google it and find out in the New Testament all of the ways that the Lord Jesus Christ is described as our good shepherd. There's many occurrences of that. Uh, remember, he left the 99 sheep, and he goes off looking for the one who strays. Uh, remember that he uh, lays down his life for his sheep. There's many illustrations in the New Testament how Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, when we get back to our study in the book of Hebrews, we're going to find there that he is the chief shepherd. First Peter talks about uh, he's our great shepherd. First Peter talks about him being our chief shepherd. And so do a study on the Lord Jesus Christ being our shepherd. But for this morning, we're focusing on this wonderful song, this Psalm 23. In fact, before we go any further, it's up on the screen, and let's just say it together. I put it up in the King James Version because it is so familiar that way, and I thought that many of you, uh, like me when you were younger, memorized it in the King James, and it just has a flow to it and a, and a beauty to it. Uh, together, will you join me together, and let's recite or read uh, Psalm 23. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want... He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's Psalm 23. It seems uh, evident that that was a psalm written by David. Um, this is a psalm that, that brings us great comfort it was written by David, and many Bible students believe that it was written by David when he was in being pursued by King Saul. Do you recall that David, as a younger man, was anointed uh, by uh, uh, Samuel, the prophet, anointed David to be the, the king in succession in Israel. Saul had disobeyed God. God had put him on the shelf, uh, and David was to step in and be the new king. And Saul found out about it, and with a vengeance and with a heart filled with hatred, he chased after David for about 10 years. David, uh, and many of the Psalms are written while he was in the wilderness, while David ran from Saul, trying to gain perspective. God, what are you doing in my life? I'm, I'm supposed to be the king. And, and here he is, fleeing for his life, living in the wilderness, uh, a limited support system around him, no home. Um, uh, there's other Bible students, however, that believe that at the time when his son Absalom, remember David had many sons, and one of his sons, Absalom, who's the one that had long hair, he was good looking, and he created a coup attempt against David when David was king. And he had quite a, um, a following. He had gotten part of the army and some of David's generals to come with him. He tried to, cre tried to create a coup against his father. Uh, that Ab Absalom, remember, is the one who was riding on his donkey through the woods, uh, fleeing David's men as they chased him. 
Uh, and uh, David had said, do not harm my son Absalom. And he got his long hair hung up in the, in the branches of an oak tree. And one of David's generals, who was so loyal to David, he disobeyed the king's command. And he, and he shot him in the heart and uh, stuck him in the heart and killed him as he hung from that oak tree. They were brutal. It was a brutal scene. But that Absalom created a, a, a coup attempt against David. It was very distressing. David actually had to leave Jerusalem for his own safety. And some Bible students think that this Psalm 23 could have been written during that time. Regardless, it was at a time we know in David's life when he recognized that the, that the good shepherd, Yahweh, Jehovah Roy, had watched over him and had shepherded him. And you get the feeling when you read this psalm and you study this psalm, you get the feeling that maybe he wrote it right after a time when he had barely escaped with his life. Um, and so we have this precious and wonderful psalm that ministers to us. It was written in the context of a difficult season of life for David, no doubt, and uh, what we want to do is we want to break it down, and we just want to look at why is it, what are the elements that are present in this psalm? What is it that David brings out about Yahweh Roy that gives us such comfort? First of all, I want you to see that this psalm brings us great comfort because it is very, very personal. It's very personal. Let's look at verse 1. And really, verse 1, by the way, is an introductory platform for the rest of the verses. It's only six verses. It's one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's just stop there. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Roy is my shepherd. It's very, very personal because, number one, Yahweh's name was the most personal, relational, covenantal name between God and His children Israel. It began back in Exodus chapter 3, when he, and, and it's used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, and it reminds the Israelites that they have a covenantal relationship with their God. He is a God who has made promises, and he will not forfeit those promises, and that they are his people. It's very, very personal. So the first thing we understand about it is just by using that name Yahweh, it's very, very personal. Secondly, we recognize as soon as we read it, or those of us who've memorized it, we recognize that the personal pronouns, my and me and I, are used repeatedly. In fact, in the ESV translation, those words in just six verses are used 17 times. So as the, the psalmist, David, sits down and he pens this, and, and it's possible, and we know that that this is inspired scripture, so the Holy Spirit was guiding him and guiding him along, and yet he was using his own life experiences. It, David was a wonderful musician on stringed instruments and probably windpipes, and so David probably, uh, as he's hiding away in a cave or he's hidden behind rocks out in the wilderness, he has just escaped for his life. Maybe his loyal bandit followers, they were, they were rugged men, a little bit like Robin Hood and his bandits. They just kind of lived off the land, and these men were very loyal to him. They had probably secured some wild game meat. They had a fire going. Things had calmed down. They were now safe, and David is reflecting on what just happened. And his mind goes back to his boyhood. And he was, you know, you, those of you who grew up on the farm, you're always farmers. You might be programming computers nowadays, but um, you grew up on the farm and uh, you can take the boy off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy or the girl. And you know how that is. And that's how it was with David. And, and so there he is, probably resting 
Uh, there's maybe a fire going for comfort and for cooking food. And there he is, maybe off to the side, and he's just uh, letting his soul be restored and refreshed. He picks up his instrument, I picture. We don't know. And he begins to just uh, pluck and play, and, and beautiful melodies come out. And then the words begin to flow. And he begins to sing. See, this was a song. Uh, Yahweh Roy is my shepherd. Jehovah is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. It's very, very personal continually. He's my shepherd. He watches after me. Um, and I do not have to fear. And so it's very personal. Yahweh is the most sacred and personal name of God. The personal pronouns, my, me, I, are used 17 times. But also, as I've just referenced, it's very, very personal because it springs from the life experience and the boyhood of David himself. So this isn't just like, hey, there's a really good concept. I think I'm going to write a song about it. Or there's a really good concept. I'm going to paint a picture about it. No, this is the essence of, of springing from the well of his memories. He could picture. Those were delightful days in many ways when he looks back, when he was in his boyhood shepherding the flocks for his father, Jesse. And so it's very, very personal. Secondly, uh, this psalm brings us great comfort, not only because it reminds us of this personal relationship that we have with Yahweh, it's a personal psalm. Uh, secondly, it is because it is all about the shepherd's presence in our lives. He says, um, the Lord is my shepherd. That word picture in and of itself uh, demands closeness. It is the idea of, of a shepherd being with his sheep. You can't shepherd if you're away from your sheep. Mr. Harmon's sheep came in harm's way by the neighbor's dog because the shepherd was at home in bed. There was not a closeness or a nearness. And so when we read this psalm, one of the things that comes out of it is just the reality that, man, Yahweh, Jehovah God, he not only sees me, but he shepherds me. He's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I was reminded on this point of John 10, 27, where the Lord Jesus is describing himself as the shepherd of his sheep, uh, those who are followers of Christ. And one of the expressions that it uses, and some of you who have experience with sheep um, know this, um, my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice and they follow me. That's a, an expression of nearness. The shepherd makes his sound. I remember as a boy on my grandpa's farm, uh, I, was, I was talking last week about my uh, my grandmother's first husband who died in the flu epidemic of 1919, 1918, 1919. I said his name was Robert or something like that. His name was Gordon, I found out this week, Gordon Fleming, just, to, just for the record. Um, but on my grandpa's farm, I remember as a little boy, and he would go out, he had one cow that he still milked, and he would have a, a, a way of calling in a high voice, which was kind of funny for an old man. And he would, come boss, come boss, come boss. And the, and the cow was way across. And I didn't know what boss meant. Come boss. And my father, my grandfather had this call for his Holstein milking cow. And that cow would come to the master's, the farmer's voice. Sheep are the same way. And shepherds would have whistles. Shepherds would have little yelps. They would have songs that they would sing. And like even like... Uh, 
animals that we have, they know who their master is. And sheep, though they're scattered across the pasture, the shepherd's voice could ring out through the valley, and the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. So as we read this psalm, it's very, very personal, and it's, um, it's also, though, a, a very much about the presence of the shepherd in our lives. Thirdly, uh, this psalm is very special and encouraging to us because it is all about the shepherd's provision. Now, we've all been in a bit of a panic trying to find toilet paper and whatever else that's important to you out there. And interesting, isn't it, how quickly our priorities shift. And things that were so important to us, like um, how far is West Virginia going to go in the Big 12 tournament or whatever, become just absolutely nonsensical, really, in the greater scheme of things. And, and all of our priorities are realigned. And one of, the things that the, one of the things that David is emphasizing here is that we have a shepherd who will provide for his sheep. We need to be encouraged by this. Okay, let's go back to the text. It's Psalm 23, 1. And let me remind you that verse 1 is an introductory platform for the entire rest of the passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, look at the next word, I shall not want. And so what he's going to do now is he's going to just list off all of the ways that we will have our needs met through our Yahweh Roy shepherd and that we shall not want. How shall we not want? Well, he's going to make us lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead us beside still waters. He's going to restore our soul. He's going to lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's going to be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not have to fear evil. His rod and his staff will be there so that we know his presence is with us and it will comfort us. And he's going to prepare a table for us right in the presence of our enemies. And, and we're not even going to be afraid because Yahweh Roy is there. And surely goodness then and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And, and then he's going to uh, allow that we will be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, all of that list is how we shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you happen to be looking at the notes, I listed um, uh, probably seven of those ways. Let's just look quickly at our text. We don't want to bog down. But I shall not want. Verse 2 what shall I not want for? First of all, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I will not want for nourishment. It's a word picture of sheep who have eaten. Listen, if there's green meadow grass and the sheep are hungry, you cannot make them lie down. They will stay standing until they are filled. And so it's a word picture that David understood. He reflected back in his mind to his boyhood as he's shepherding the flock and the sheep Eight, and then they laid down in contentment. That's the second thing. Not only do they have their fill of green pastures, but there's a contentment because they lie down and they are refreshed. Look what it says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, sheep are really pretty helpless. They have many needs. They're high maintenance. And so what the what the shepherd is referring to here, what David is understanding here, is that the sheep can't even get a drink of water from a fast-flowing stream. There in the wilderness sections, in the rural sections outside of, of Bethlehem where David grew up, and he would take the sheep, especially in the summertime, they would go up to the higher pastures, the high mountain alpine meadows, because there they could get away from the flies and the heat. Sheep don't do well with heat. 
But there, the water was supplied by, by rivulets and, and stream beds and flowing water. And if a sheep dips his nose in flowing water, the water rolls up his nose, he chokes and he coughs and he can't get a drink. And so what David is picturing in his mind here is how he would take boulders and rocks and maybe some some sticks, and he would jam them down and pile rocks against them, and he would create just a little eddy, and he would redirect the water to a little side shallow spot, and there the water would hit, and then it would flow smoothly, and there he would create a drinking pool for his sheep, and there they would find refreshment. He goes on to say that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I use the word placement there for direction. He's going to keep us in paths of righteousness. In other words, we don't want to get off. We don't want to go away from where the shepherd wants us to be. And aren't we prone to wander? But he leads us in those paths of righteousness if we will let him. It reminded me of a little book that I have. It's called um, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's written by a man who was a shepherd in, in Australia or New Zealand. I can't remember which, or, or Northern Africa. Um, and he wrote a, a, a devotional commentary on Psalm 23 out of his life experience, uh, commentating on David's psalm. Uh, on this point of I shall not want, and he leads me into paths of righteousness. It, I recall years ago reading this story about uh, Philip Keller talking about a, a beautiful ewe sheep that he had. Uh, listen to the story. I'll just read it. I once owned a ewe whose conduct exemplified this person who would not follow paths of righteousness. She was one of the most attractive sheep that ever belonged to me. Her body was beautifully proportioned. She had a strong constitution and an excellent coat of wool. Her head was clean, alert, well set, with bright eyes. She bore sturdy lambs that matured rapidly. But in spite of all these attractive attributes, she had one pronounced fault. She was restless. She was discontent. I called her a fence crawler. So much so that as she broke through the fences, I came to call her Mrs. Gadabout. This one you produced more problems for me than almost all the rest of the flock combined. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were in, she would, she would search along all the fences or shoreline. We lived by the sea, looking for a loophole she could crawl through and start to feed on the other side. It was not that she lacked pasturage. My fields were my joy and my delight. No sheep in the district had better grazing. With Mrs. Gadabout, it was an ingrained habit. She was simply never contented with the things as they were. Often when she had forced her way through some such spot in a fence or found a way around the end of the wire at low tide on the beaches, she would end up feeding on bare, brown, burned-up pasturage of a most inferior sort. But she never learned her lesson. And she continued to fence crawl time after time. Now, it would have been bad enough if she was the only one who did this. It was a, a sufficient problem to find her and bring her back. But the further point was that she taught her lambs the same tricks. They simply followed her example and soon were as skilled at escaping as their mother. Even worse, however, was the example she set for the other sheep. In short, time began to lead others. In short time, she began to lead others through the same holes and over the dangerous paths down by the sea. 
After putting up with her perverseness for a summer, I finally came to the conclusion that to save the rest of the flock from becoming unsettled, she would have to go. I could not allow one obstinate, discontented you to ruin the whole ranch operation. It was a difficult decision to make, for I loved her in the same way I loved the rest. Her strength and her beauty and alertness were a delight to the eye. But one morning, I took the killing knife in hand and I butchered her. Her career of fence crawling was cut short. It was the only solution to the dilemma. She was a sheep who, in spite of all that I had done to give her the very best care, she still wanted something else. She was not like the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What a powerful picture Philip Keller paints for us in his book, this whole idea This psalm is precious to us because it reminds us of the Lord's provision of nourishment, the green grass, of contentment, I lie down in pastures green, of refreshment, drinking from cool, still waters that have been uh, enabled me to drink, placement, I'm where I'm supposed to be, I'm not fence crawling, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil for You are with me. That's the reinforcements that I need in my life. I'm not alone. And God is with me himself. And and you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table uh, for me in the presence of my enemy. That's, That's treatment that is excellent. And so he cares for us with wonderful treatment. The idea there with the rod and the staff, and we'll talk about it in just a second, but that's letting me know of his presence, and he touches me, and then he prepares the table before me. I understand from reading that shepherds consider the pasture area for their sheep, their table, and they will walk the field and make sure there's no holes, make sure there's no uh, snakes in the grass, make sure that it's a safe area, and they prepare the table And there the shepherd then will sit nearby where he can view the whole area and the sheep will contentedly eat and they will rest and they will be cared for by their shepherd even while maybe uh, hyenas or coyotes circle around. He keeps them at bay. In the presence of their enemies, they find refreshment because of the treatment of their good shepherd. And then finally, encouragement. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. These are the reasons I do not have to want His goodness and His mercy will be there. And ultimately, we will dwell in the house of the Lord together. What an encouraging psalm it is. It's so personal. It's all about His presence. He's talking about His provision. Let's amplify now His protection. It's all about the shepherd's protection. This is verses 4 and 5 in our text. And these verses are maybe the most well-known part of the passage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. What a word picture. It's the valley filled with shadows. It could be translated the valley of deep darkness. This again goes back to David taking his sheep, shepherding and herding his flocks from lower pastures to higher pastures or coming in the fall when the weather's going to turn cold in the high altitude, bringing his sheep back down to lower pastures, and they would have to go through ravines or, or cuts or crevices where the, 
mountain trail would be thin and the, and the sheep would have to fall into a single file line and pass through the boulders and there would be steep cliffs on each side and, and maybe only for a minute, a few minutes a day when the sun was directly overhead would the light come in. Otherwise, even in uh, full daylight, it was dark and shadowy. It was also a place where danger lurked, where animals could come and take prey of the sheep or snakes might be there. And so the shepherd says, don't worry, I'm with you in this valley of deep darkness. Some of you have been there, haven't you? Some of you right now are in the valley of the shadow of death. You're dealing with things that are greater than yourself. There are circumstances that you can do nothing about. It can be overwhelming. I think about uh, Adrian. Uh, Sheridan, the pastor's wife from Palos Bible Church, and she's in isolation, I believe, in their home, but all alone. And her husband's in the ICU, and she's all alone. And she's been, my sister's been forwarding me texts from Adrian to Dawn to me. And some of those texts come from the darkest part of the night, the earliest hours of the morning. She is in the valley of the shadow of death. And one thing that's real is you're there alone. No one else really can fit in there with you. But you're not alone because we have the promise of Yahweh Roy. Not only does he see, but he has a relationship with his sheep. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not have to fear evil because you are with me. Thou art with me. What a, what a beautiful and encouraging concept of Yahweh Roy Re represents this deep dark shadows does a place of difficulty and threatening uh, we know about it let's keep our eyes on Yahweh Roy he talks then in verse 5 about our rod his rod and your rod and your staff now I was thinking about what the rod means and and remember when David uh, King David was going to put on Saul's armor and go fight Goliath um, he told him and gave him testimony of when he was a shepherd watching over his sheep that with his sling and his staff, he killed a lion and a bear. A shepherd boy was really good with his staff. He had a longer pole and he had a shorter staff that was heavier with a club. Sometimes it had a knot uh, carefully selected from a tree root or tree limb so that he had a knot on the end of it and he could use it as a club. Uh, I understand that shepherd boys could throw their sticks, or they could, they could um, get involved. They would never let go of their stick. They could keep it in their hand, and they could do a lot of different things and still have that staff in their hand because it was there in an instant. So they could smash a snake's head, or, or they could throw it at a threatening dog. Um, the idea of the longer staff is that in the evening when the sheep were coming into the fold, the shepherd would count his sheep, and, and I understand they would just tap their sheep. And just think what that meant. See, animals of domesticated farm animals are of routine. They like to come in at the same time. They like to go to the same place. They like to eat from the same place. And for the shepherd to tap them and to talk to them in his low voice had to be comforting. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so David is equating what he saw in the personality of his sheep. He's transferring it over to humans. And aren't we a lot like sheep? We're so helpless. We're so needy. 
and we need a shepherd. And that's what David is talking about. And that staff could reach out and bump a sheep and, and move it over and let another sheep come in to get water. It could, could hold one back that he wanted to look at because maybe it had burrs or, or maybe it had uh, some, some running eyes or something. And so he would reach out with his staff and redirect it. We get direction from that. Correction. He would bop them on the head and move them on the way. Um, and, and then I've already talked about the connection that we have. And the whole idea of protection from the rod and the staff of the shepherd. And, and it's all a word picture about our Jehovah Roy as he shepherds his flock. This psalm is also precious to us because it's all about the shepherd's peace that he gives us. In the valley of deep darkness, we can know a peace and a calm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, in the presence of evil. I mean, just think of that word picture. Just think if you had an, an enemy that was assaulting you, but you, the reinforcement in your life was such that uh, even with the enemy watching on, you could set the table, sit down, and enjoy a meal, and the enemy can't get to you because your shepherd is there. Your protector is there. Your bodyguard is there. Let the enemy be there. My shepherd is here. My protector is here. You got a bully after you? It's all right. My best friend can whip the bullies, and I'm with my buddy, and so we can sit here, and we can enjoy a Mountain Dew and a Big Mac, and the enemy's just watching. Let him watch, because my big buddy's with me. He's going to take care of me. The good shepherd is with me. In the valley of deep darkness, we can experience peace. In the presence of evil, in the presence of my enemies, we can experience peace. All my life's goodness, all of my life then, mercy and goodness shall follow me. There is a peace and a calm and a quietness that God's sheep should be able to experience. And it occurs to me that when we don't, we're doubting the shepherd. When we are, when we are ill at ease and when we can't rest, it is from an inability to be able to rest in the presence and with the promises of our shepherd. I know that anxiety comes upon us and you can't always just flip a switch. But as we meditate on this, let's recognize that Jehovah Roy is our shepherd. He concludes the psalm by reminding us that it's all about a special place. Now let's just remind ourselves that this psalm is special because it's so very personal. It's about the shepherd's presence. It's about his provision. It's about his protection. It's about the peace that passes all understanding that we have in the presence of the shepherd. And then ultimately, he reminds us, David's mind then moves from the pastures and the grazing areas of his sheep, and it moves to the house of God. He says, surely goodness and mercy, verse 6, shall follow me all the days of my life. And then he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we use that term, house of the Lord, loosely. Could be the temple, um, the house of the Lord. Uh, uh, sometimes we worship the Lord outdoors, and, and the outdoors is a great cathedral, and the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit have manifested their power in creation, and we're in His great cathedral, and we're in the house of the Lord. I was thinking about our uh, auditorium here this morning. There are uh, six people present here this morning. It's a funny feeling. 
Um, we call, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's a place of encouragement, isn't it? Because there we have fellowship. There we pray together. There we recognize that we're not alone. There, the preaching of God's word. There, God speaks to us. There, the downcast can have their head turned up, and there, joy comes in the morning. It's the house of the Lord. Sometimes we use this text at funerals to remind ourselves of heaven, and that ultimately, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, and there's that word, forever. What a wonderful concept. What a wonderful concept. David loved the house of the Lord. Do you remember in Psalm 84, the psalmist wrote, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. In the courts of the house of the Lord, one day there is better than a thousand everywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, he says. The house of my God is precious. It reminds us of our Lord's words in John 14, and he said, in my Father's house, the King James says, are many mansions, are many rooms, many abodes, in my Father's house. What a comforting place our Father's house is. You can remember what it smelled like, what it looked like, what a comforting place it is for those of you who have good memories of your Father. But our Heavenly Father he has a house, and he's preparing it for us, and, and ultimately we're safe with him. Regardless of the outcomes, the shepherd psalmist says his, his mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm thinking that he just escaped with his life in a circumstance, and now he's singing and writing this song, and he's meditating, and he's worshiping, and he feels confident because they just escaped. He said, because the Lord is my shepherd, and, and even goodness and mercy are just going to follow me all the days of my life, because he knew that he had been anointed king, and he knew that God would keep his promise. But then ultimately, he found comfort in, the, in resting in the reality that he would dwell, though, in the house of the Lord forever. Beloved, do you know the good shepherd today? Do you know the good shepherd of the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep? By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, confessing your sin, admitting your sinfulness, allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all sin, and that's a spiritual reality. This repenting of sin and admitting sinfulness and then acknowledging that Jesus took our sin upon himself and died on the cross for our sin, and then by faith, through grace, in what God did in Christ alone as he substituted into our place. That's how we have salvation and that Jesus Christ laid down his life for his sheep. It's the only way we have life. We are spared death because the shepherd took the, took the death. We are given life because the shepherd took care of death. I hope that you know this good shepherd today. There's an old story uh, that I thought maybe was worn out, but I thought I would end with it today as we continue to just um, reflect upon this wonderful psalm, and I hope you've been encouraged and reminded. If you don't have Psalm 23 memorized, by the way, or your children, it would be a good time to take some time. It won't take you long to memorize Psalm 23, all six verses. But as we conclude, let me just share a story that I read years ago and that is quite familiar. It goes something like this. Many, many years ago in London, uh, there came out a story about Psalm 23. 
The story is that a group of eminent writers and musicians and actors had gathered in a London drawing room for an evening of mutual entertainment. This is long before television. They made up a purse of gold and they all pitched in some gold coins and they agreed for the joy and happiness of the evening uh, that they would, um, uh, the one who was voted on to have done the best to entertain the group that night should receive the purse as a prize at the end of the evening. And so it was an evening uh, that uh, scintillated with talent. Um, uh, they sang, they played, they recited, they gave monologues. And last of all was a very prominent member of the British theater stage who stood before that company of a hundred celebrities and recited the words of the ancient Hebrew poet, the 23rd Psalm. His enunciation was perfect. His intonations thrilled them. And when he finished, they all agreed that this was the greatest thing that they had heard that evening, and they awarded him the purse of gold. Just then, someone in the back of the room spoke and said, there was a little old man there who had done nothing yet to entertain the group. And though he protested this little old man uh, when he was pointed out that he was only a friend of the hostess, he protested, and he wasn't worthy to take a place with such illustrious people, uh, they said, everybody must do something, and they urged him to the front of the room. After a moment's pause, he too began and recited Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. The company was hushed as he took them through the round. The, the company was hushed as he took them through the round of the shepherd's intimate care of the sheep and ended up with a glowing face. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The great actor reached out his hand to the little old man, and he placed the purse of gold in his in it, instinctively, the old man opened his palm, and he said, the actor said to the old man, sir, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. We know the psalm, do you know the shepherd, and are you trusting in the shepherd's care? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Will you say that much with me again? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this familiar but precious passage of Scripture. Thank you that you are a, a Jehovah, you are Yahweh Roy, you are the shepherd who watches over your flock. Thank you for the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who laid down his life for his sheep and that we can have life everlasting in him. Father, help your church to be encouraged. We're, we're among our families, we're scattered out, we're not together right now, but we look forward to that day when we'll reconnect and, and we will gather as your church the way you intended. We continually pray for our president and our vice president and we pray for medical officials. We pray for doctors and nurses who are in harm's way. We pray for people who are finding out that they have the virus. And I pray, Lord, that you would be our good shepherd this week and that we will rest in your tender mercy and in your tender care and that the hope of dwelling in your house forever will be, be very encouraging to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been on live stream for about an hour and 20 minutes. Thanks for your patience if you haven't clicked off. Um, 
We were thinking about how when our Lord and his disciples met, they often would sing a hymn before they depart. And so I thought we should sing a hymn before we depart today. We're going to sing together, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. You probably don't have the words on your screen, but many of you know the words or you can hum along. Let's sing together before we uh, depart today, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. I trust that you've been encouraged. Have a great day. Keep your eyes on Christ. Do not be defeated or discouraged. He is Jehovah Roy, the Lord. He is my shepherd. God bless you. Live for Jesus out there.